Oh, hey, didn't see you there. Hey, Welcome. I didn't see you. How's it going? It's going all right. Welcome to the Zero Oscars, the show where we review movies with a zero percent or lower on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> we haven't found the lower ones yet, but they're out there. Uh, I'm John. I'm Kylan. I'm Alex. I'm Eli. Uh, in order of alphabetical uh, first names that we wish we had. Um, okay, so boys, today we talked about Manos, The Hands of Fate. Uh, I watched it last night. Uh, I believe several of you did the same. I think Alex, you watched it two nights ago. Um, just broad initial impressions. Um, what'd you guys think? I thought it was very bad, but... And I hope to talk about this more later on during the podcast. When you look at the budget, relatively, it wasn't that bad. On an absolute scale, though, I think it was the worst movie I've ever seen. But when you okay. factor in the budget, yeah. it's interesting. I agree that it was probably the worst movie I've seen, but it was so bad at certain points that it was entertaining. <laughs> there are definitely some entertaining bad moments in that movie. I thought there were some genuinely, like, good moments in it i also agree with that too though i've seen much worse movies than this yeah. like i've watched a talking cat and it's much <laughs> worse although much funnier for a different reason yeah um but obviously we hope if you haven't seen man of the hands of fate you should really watch it there are free ways to watch it it's very easy mm-hmm. um however uh let's uh let's just like like briefly summarize what this movie is if for whatever reason you haven't seen this film so, opens up. This family of three are driving for like 10 minutes. It has a scene of them driving. Nothing really going on. It randomly cuts to a uh, teen couple making out. Then the cops are like, stop. Cuts away. You don't see them again for a while, but they're still making out the whole time, I assume. Um, they pull up to this little hotel house area because they're looking for a hotel. And there's this really cool... <laughs> guy named Torgo outside. <laughs> Incredibly sexy. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, the best. And he um says, you can't stay here because the master and the wife's like, but it's getting dark. It's the middle of the day, it appears. But it's getting dark, apparently. Eventually, they, they, say, the, going- they say the night is mere six hours away. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to stop. <laughs> so eventually, they go in, start staying there, decide they want to leave. They don't leave because the car doesn't start because it's a horror movie. They end up going back in bunch of things happen their dog gets killed by some random thing we never see it the little girl walks away the wife looks for her for two seconds by opening one door and saying you in here immediately closing it which is important because you find that door later to be a very big flop so eventually the family sort of freaked out they go in that one door when they find the little girl later outside and that's where the master is with a bunch of women tied to columns they leave. As you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wife and daughter stay in a room. Uh, Torgo peeps on the wife. Also, at one point, he sexually assaults her. It's a fun time for everyone except canceled. for her. Yeah. <laughs> Torgo is canceled. We were big fans of Torgo until this moment. Um, <laughs> but either way, it ends up going. The master wakes up. Apparently, he worships this weird god called Manos. Uh, it goes along. He has a bunch of wives which are the ladies, they end up fighting for a oddly long amount of time. Um, the dad ends up going outside looking for Torgo, gets knocked out, tied to a tree. 
Torgo argues with the master. So the master decides to have Torgo killed by his wives, gently tugging at his shirt and slapping him lightly. They ASMR him to death by going <laughs> beautiful. They just take they just take their hands and just sort of do vague movements above his face and he dies. Um such as the will of Manos. Yeah. Then the master like burns Torgo's hand off and Torgo runs off into the night. Which was awesome. Not it a bad awesome. effect. I didn't yeah. It was yeah, it was pretty cool. But you can see the can of lighter fluid in the yes. shot. <laughs> I had not noticed that. Um, so eventually the dad gets the family after he wakes up and they start running away. Um, he has a gun with, I'm assuming six rounds in it because it's a revolver. Uh, he shoots two of them at a snake. It's nighttime. The snake is in the daytime. Stock footage from a Disney film. Um, then the wife ends up falling down and getting hurt and is like, you know, it'd be safer if we went back to the house. And he's like, no, what? That doesn't make sense. But she convinces him that it's safer to go back to the crazy cult house. They the, go the, back. The cult house that she insisted that they leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Her, she, Mike wants to stay the entire, Mike, who's the husband, wants to stay the entire time. And he's like, we're just going to wait it out till day. And the, I don't remember what the wife's name is. I don't um, either. The daughter is Debbie. The daughter's Debbie. Yes, I remember that. Um, uh, Margaret. Margaret is the name of the yeah. wife. But yeah, so Margaret insists, she gets there, so, so they immediately get there, they see a mildly creepy painting, which I, you know, I guess maybe would be a little unnerving, and she just goes, we gotta get out of here. She's like keyed into it's a horror movie. A yeah. regular Rottweiler is like the most frightening creature she has ever seen. <laughs> there's, there's a painting with a, with a man uh, in a poncho with a, <laughs> with a, <laughs> with a dog, and she's convinced that their life will end because she's seen the end of the movie already and she knows <laughs> yeah. what's about to happen. Uh, um, but, you know, they go back to the house. The dad sees uh, the master there because he's back at the house now and shoots at him the rest of his rounds and it cuts and you see these two ladies pulling up to the house and now Mike, the husband, has replaced Torgo as like the caretaker mm. And then it flashes and sees that both his young daughter and his wife are now the master's wives. And then the movie ends. But Torgo is still alive because they planned a sequel. <laughs> and Torgo was supposed to be in it. That all happens in about an hour and six minutes. Yeah, right? it's very, it's simultaneously incredibly slow, but also lasts a very long time. Yeah. Wait. That, I just did the same thing twice. It's simultaneously yeah. very slow, and everything happens within, like, the space of an hour. Yeah. And, like, is, ten minutes of that is driving around. There's – so I was worried that the – so the start of the movie, it's just – it's stock footage views over vistas in uh, sort of hilly, mountainous regions, which is – I don't think it's really know. that fitting for – because it's shot in El Paso, Texas. I haven't been there, but I'm assuming there – I don't know how many mountains there are out in Texas. Maybe yeah. there are a lot, but – uh, it did just sort of, it sort of seemed like there was a very quick uh, location shift. But so it's just a lot of stock footage of them just driving around saying nothing. And they don't which, get out of the car for 10 minutes, which the, I was like, the, are they ever going to get out of the car? The point of that scene from what I read is they were supposed to put credits over it, but uh, Harold P. Warren, the maker, either forgot to or they didn't have enough money. So... <laughs> There's just no credits over, and it's just that ten minutes of nothing happening. That's fantastic. That is that actually makes so much more sense. Um, also, we should note that um, so Mike is the 
uh, not the main character, but one of the main characters, the father, he, but he is also the director of the movie, um, mm -hmm. which explains so, there's, there's, there are a lot of inexplicable, inexplicable scenes in this movie. There's one in particular where I really didn't understand it, but then realizing that he was the director sort of makes sense. There's a scene where Mike has been knocked unconscious by Torco with one, uh, <laughs> one fell swoop uh, to the hand, to the head, because um, Torgo has this large staff with a hand on it, and he just, well, it's still, he, he says, it's clever and time. I love that staff. What? I think that staff is cool. Oh, that staff is very is good. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and so Mike gets, unknock gets knocked unconscious. He gets tied to a tree with his own bell and stays unconscious forever, um, except when he does wake up. But during that scene, so there's a, an extended fight where all these wives who are sort of scantily dressed in robes are fighting mm. each other on the ground for about 10 minutes. Um, and one of the wives just gets bored, so she leaves. She goes outside to the desert. She finds Mike, who's still unconscious. She makes out with his unconscious face for about a minute. And, and she then slaps he slaps him a couple of times. She slaps him a couple of times, which slapping is a big theme in this movie. We need to <laughs> yeah. get back on that. But so she, she makes out with this unconscious stranger for, who's tied up for about 10 minutes. She's not the one who tied her up, tied him up. She didn't know about it, so I think she was just out walking around and she found mm -hmm. this. He doesn't wake up and she goes, ah, and just walks back and rejoins the fight. It's, it's, I John, didn't understand why I was in there, John, but I can now tell it makes you, sense. it's actually, that's character development. Yes, okay. Because all the wives were tied up. Yes. And then she found her own person that was tied up. Mm, it was her it's retaking. It's a cycle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's important. That's pretty deep, yeah. But then, you know, the, the development is lost as, most uh, most is uh, when you go into war and violence, um, mm. which I think is the theme. Of the that was definitely the theme of the movie. Uh, what? Okay, so you are uh, you're you're a film student, and you sure. are reviewing the movie, and you have to write an extended, um, right. deep analysis of this film, and it's presented okay. as a very like this is a highbrow piece. So you're like very serious. What right. would you say that like, what's your thesis? What's, what's your theme of what the man is the hands yeah. of fate is all about. I think the theme is that we're all just along the ride of life and there are forces that are out of our control. Uh, even if we had the hands to, to try and control. <laughs> would you italicize hands uh, in your, oh, yeah, your yes, thesis? Yes, absolutely. And sometimes we lose the ability, uh, what little control that we have, such as when Torgo's hand, you know, is torn off of his uh, arm. <laughs> torn asunder. Torn asunder. <laughs> he runs but, off into the night with his hand yeah. on his, his, yeah. his stump on fire. Right. Alex, what do you think the theme of this movie is? What would uh, you pitch it in your, your highbrow uh, essay, your analysis? Uh, the theme is that Apparently, anyone can make a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> so you think this is a very meta, self-aware film right. that is oh, trying to teach. Is. It's instructing. Absolutely. The film was actually made because Warren was sitting with, I, I think it was uh, an actual... Sterling uh, Silifant, who won an Academy Award for a film. So like, oh. director. Mm -hmm. And Warren goes, anyone can make a horror movie. It's easy. And Silifant goes... No, they can't. And Warren basically goes, bet. And the movie was made. And he starts writing the script on a napkin. a napkin in the restaurant they were sitting in. Incredible. He won the bet. Yeah. He, 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 he did make a horror movie. He showed them. Uh, one that's like decently popular now. I mean, 
We're talking about it. <laughs> We're talking about it. <laughs> My, it <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask Kylan, what, what would your, your theme? Hmm. Honestly, mine would have been the same as Alex's. I think it was just something that he was like, here's like a fairly basic premise. And this just to show that anyone can do this and make a movie that can be popular. Sort mm. of an everyman's uh, director. I, I, I think that's a very good, yeah. I think that's a very good theme. I personally, I think if I was forced to write the essay, I would say that it's a, it's a, a chilling tale, uh, a testament of man's hubris. Because mm. the whole film, the whole reason that they're in the situation at all is that Mike is incredibly lost as he's driving his car and he refuses to ask for directions. And Margaret continues like, we are definitely not going the right way. Can we please ask those people we just passed and tell, ask them which way we're supposed to be going or ask the cop. And he's like, no, I'll figure it out. We just, it's just a wrong turn. You know, and he keeps getting horribly, mm-hmm. horribly lost. And I think right. that, and, you know, and he still wants to stay in the horror movie, you know, even when Margaret is like, right. can we please leave until she eventually totally changes her mind and comes back. But that's just a testament to how, uh, he subliminally is influencing her, which I think is a testament to the patriarchy because, you know, she was overpowered, I think, psychologically. And this was, you know, just sort of unfairly cast upon her. And she was, he was projecting his desire to go back to the house and made her express it. So that's, I think, the pretty clear theme of the movie. I think there is a uh, sub-theme of the incompetence of some cops. <laughs> the cops in this film. So towards the beginning, they pull him over for a taillight being out. The yeah. driver of the car, I don't know if you noticed this. When he gets out of the car, he has his hand on his gun already. Yep. He's ready. And they never ask him for his license. Like, he just gets up there and he's like, yeah, you were have a, a taillight out. Starts riding a ticket. Never ask to see his license. And then later, they hear a gunshot. They get out, walk like two feet, go, that's ah, probably nothing. It could be sound travels at night. That could be all the way from Mexico. We should, should we just not check it out. I want to highlight, he says, sound travels further at night. <laughs> what does that mean? There's less sound at night. <laughs> There's nothing out there. To look They're in the middle of nowhere. There's hardly any sound anyway. The sound feels energized by the darkness, and it right. lets it extend further. Than it is pushed would. by the hands. Yeah, the hands Man. of fate, yeah. <laughs> they walked only two feet like past the car because they didn't have enough lighting to light out the uh, outside of it, so they're like, you can only walk this far, or we won't be able to see anything. The production of this was a mess. Indeed. I, Alex, you had some... Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Alex had I've some things uh, about the uh, filming of it, with, like, the camera and all that. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, the filming of it. Um, Warren was somehow able to raise $19,000, which is roughly around $150,000 today. That's impressive. Which, it is impressive, but still not a lot for like yeah, yeah. a high-quality movie. Sure. <laughs> so they were on or a this very one. tight budget, and they couldn't buy their own equipment, so they had to rent most of the equipment they used. So, one, they had to squeeze in the entire filming into the rental period of the equipment. Mm-hmm. And two, the camera that they rented was a little crate camera that could not record sound <laughs> and could only shoot uh, 32 seconds of footage at a time. So that's why it is very choppy and everything is dubbed over. What, what was the second part there? Uh, it can only shoot 32 seconds of footage at a time. I, okay. I did want to question that because there is a shot that lasts like two minutes. Um, 
because it's it's the extended sequence where um, Torgo gets like he hits Mike over the head and then he ties him up like with his own belt. That um, is true. That went on forever. Him that went on the tree. I I counted it. It went on for well over a minute without a cut. So I'm curious how they were able to achieve that. But oh, I, I think I, the point I, still stands that they really they had a very limited window which they could shoot because they they cut all the time in ways that don't always necessarily make mm-hmm. sense. Like they just. I, they're just like excited to get out of the scene. I, I do think they, I don't know if you would call it blundered or just out of, we're just making the movie this way. But sometimes, obviously, 32 seconds per shot is awful. But other times, I think it worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether or not that was on purpose or not is impossible to know. But I particularly like the scene where the master wakes up and he does his like, Manos, we will bring about the dark, blah, 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 you know. Um, yeah there's a shot where it's to his side and then it flips over to in front of him. And then it also flips. It's like rapid shots. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of like an old silent film almost, except, I mean, there was noise, but like the, the way it was shot, like an old film. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really like that scene actually as as ham fisted as the deity of hands. Yeah. He improved all that. There was no script for that. Apparently. Oh, so he was just supposed impressive. to stand there, so he started saying that stuff. I mean, honestly, I mean, it's, good. it's pretty generic, but yeah. For, for can we talk about this? Uh, yeah. Can we talk about his robe? His robe is awesome. I and uh, Torgo's outfit, where he was wearing like a jumpsuit under a sports blazer, I also like a hat. Want to talk about this? <laughs> yeah, because the the master's outfit at first you're like, okay, it's like a it's like a black and red robe. Okay, mm-hmm. that's vaguely sinister however there's a point where he he raises his arms to to sort of give a full view of his robe and it's not a robe but it's a poncho and it's a poncho with two giant red handprints emblazoned on it sort of like uh like the the mesh of mm-hmm. like like a wingsuit or something like that it's just it's not what i expected and it's not very menacing but it is very cool um, I- <laughs> I wonder how much they spent making that because there are several shots where for no reason he just goes, he just extends his arms so you can see it. Like it when was, they're looking in the, when they're, when the families ran away into the dark and they're looking for them, there's a shot where he's just walking and then he goes, just raises his just, arms and it's like really showing costumes, that off, aren't you? I can't remember which one. It was either the wife of the guy who made it or the wife of the guy who played the master. Like, sewed all of the costumes like his and the wives ones so they didn't have to pay for that it's just a wife made it and only two cast members got paid the little girl got paid with a bicycle and the dog got a bag of dog food no one everyone else was promised uh shares of the profits which they didn't get that's wild (laughs) one thing uh just about the budget that i found really interesting is how small it is because i compared it because I was after watching, I was like, "This is a pretty bad movie," but the budget was nineteen thousand, hundred fifty, in terms of the day when you account for inflation. Mm-hmm. So I looked at other movies from that year to see similar budgets. Because one of my favorite movies, *The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly*, came out that year. Yeah. His budget was one point two million. Oh wow! So in, in dollars in nineteen sixty six. Yeah. So it was significantly high. It was like sixty three times. And then I was like, "Okay, let's look for some other low budget films that have been made historically." And like. Um, Night of the Living Dead had 114,000. Reservoir Dogs had 1.2 million. 
the closest one I could actually find was Kevin Smith's Clerks, which had $27,000, which in today's terms is like 45. So that's the only movie I could actually find that had a smaller budget and performed well. Wasn't, wasn't Primer? Primer was made for like, like seven mm, to $10,000, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really cheap. Yeah. That's why they wear the same outfits. Yeah, well, because it's like nothing. And the commonality in all of those films is like, like in Clerks, like it's just, they're just two guys in a store. Yeah. Um, just like there's like no real like costuming or anything like that yeah. or like props really. It's just like it's just people existing in places and talking. Um, Which that makes this one more impressive in yeah. retrospect based mm-hmm. on the budget. Like as I said, on absolute terms, I still think it's really bad. But when you factor in how much they had, it's sort of impressive how well mm-hmm. it turned out. I'll be I'll be honest. Maybe this is an unpopular take. I don't. Uh, there in the discussions for like the worst movie of all time this movie is thrown around a lot mm-hmm. um which i don't think is really fair frankly i've seen movies that are much worse yes uh, and i actually enjoyed watching this movie for the most part like it's like not good but it's like and it is boring at times but it's mostly just like b horror schlock yeah and i'm i'm fine with that and it didn't really seem like it was trying to be like like the super artsy like high class movie it just seemed like they were just trying to make like like a schlocky b movie horror flick mm-hmm. and make some money back on that and i feel like it did that reasonably well i agree uh like yeah there's bad audio there's a bad shot it's boring um but it it hits pretty generic uh horror tropes yeah and they, it does that like pretty decently and the idea that it's extremely quick this family gets destroyed in like one day uh, in a situation that they have no control over. I think maybe the concept is a little better than the execution, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. it is kind of scary to think that you would just roll up and it's just like, Oh, uh, there's a cult and then they brainwash you. So you're done. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was, the idea was pretty fine. Yeah. You know? I thought the idea was fine. Uh, plot wise. It wasn't that bad. It's just, I've probably not seen as many bad movies as you all have. I've like the only bad movie I've seen over this was Ben and Arthur. And I think they're pretty close <laughs> in quality. So ben and Arthur is pretty bad. Ben and Arthur is really bad, but I sort of see them close in quality. But as we go along, I bet I'll probably find a worse one on this list of 75. Sure. Yeah. Right. Alex, Alex, I want to hear from you because you like Kylan said, this is probably the worst movie you've ever seen. Uh-huh. I don't want to invalidate that. I want to hear from you ream this movie a little bit i i agree that the concept was good but the execution was terrible Mm -hmm. they obviously didn't know exactly what they were getting into and overall the end product was something that i did not enjoy watching at all except for how laughably bad it was at points uh so it it has is easily the worst movie i've ever seen at this point Mm -hmm. i'm sure there's going to be another one because it's like we have 74 more yeah (laughs) <laughs> and counting possibly that's true so but so far it was easily the worst movie i've ever seen one part i did enjoy the smooth jazz music playing over the super serious scenes specifically when torgo was carrying the luggage and there's that really like peppy one as he walks i loved that so much i enjoy most of the music in this film like it's repetitive like they use the same tracks oh, like yeah. over and over again, but like I thought that they were fine. 
like I might splice because it's I think it's like now royalty free. I might splice in uh, some of those in like the intro or something like that. But we could put some pictures thought, of stuff too. Yeah, I thought they were like reasonably enjoyable to listen to. Um, so, you know, I I, I frankly was expecting something much much worse. Um, yeah. Just based on reputation. I don't think the music for me, at least, I don't think it fit what was happening. Like, I enjoyed it, but I think music sort of like more towards more old horror movies like Night of the Living Dead, Last Man on Earth. I was expecting more of that. I think that would have fit the mood a little bit better, but I did enjoy it. It was one of the, made every scene a lot funnier to have that music in the background. Indeed. It felt like I was watching like a play uh kind of because like everyone is like it's a little bit more delayed and they sort of overact um sort of like as if like they're projecting to an audience like to make sure that like everybody gets it um that was like something i i noticed i kept coming back to i have a quick comment on that actually that might be because that most of the cast was from a local theater Mm. that uh warren was familiar with okay that so actually makes they, a lot of sense. They've just been using their theater acting skills, and it could have come off, come across like a play. That's mm. genius. Spotting this, yeah. So it's a big brain move. Yeah. Uh, can I? Can I? So I watched uh, the, the follow-up documentary that was made in 2004 called Hotel Torgo, uh, which is it's a quick. It's you can find it on YouTube. It's under 30 minutes. But I wanted to share this interesting tidbit from the premiere of the film. So it premiered in El Paso, Texas, where it was shot. Uh, I don't remember the name of the theater exactly, but uh, sort of this is a running theme of the the director. What was his name again? Hal something? Uh, um, Harold P. Warren. Yeah, Harold P. Warren. So Harold P. Warren, stinginess is like a reoccurring theme throughout the story of Manos, the Hands of Fate, both in its like production and also literally in the, the plot itself. But so for the premiere, uh, he uh, did not rent any sort of like limos or cars to take all of the cast to the premiere. Instead, what he did is he he rented exactly one black uh, 55 Cadillac, and he then would use that to ferry them in four at a time. So he had all of the cast wait around the corner, um, and then they would, they would get four at a time into the Cadillac. They would drive them to the front of the premiere. They would get off. I, I don't know if they had a red carpet or not, but they would get off presumably on the red carpet. They would then take the car around again, fill it up again, and bring it back and bring it up to make it look as if they had cars for all of the cast. In reality, they just had one, and they just kept cycling it out. That's great. I read that uh, a lot of the cast left the initial uh, showing. I I also heard that, yeah. yeah. The little girl left crying because they dubbed over her. (laughs) (laughs) But then later she's like, in all honesty, it was pretty funny. So that's something I want to mention. That was one of my favorite parts is that whenever they're doing the dubbing, they didn't bring back all of the cast to dub over their parts. They only had a handful. So (laughs) the first words the little girl actually says, like when they're in the house, I guess, is very clearly like a grown man trying to sound like a little girl. (laughs) And when I first heard that, I was like, this is the best thing about this movie so far. It leads to the impression that, that again, from Harold's stinginess, he might have just tried to do all the voices himself <laughs> if he couldn't get the actors back. I think he had three guys and one woman for all the voices, I think. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that one of the cops was voiced by him. 
So I'm pretty sure at one point he was talking to himself. <laughs> mm. That that makes a lot of sense. It sort of felt like a. Um, uh, it felt very much like a student film, like the kind of film that you find that's like a VHS tape that was made by your uncle in the 1970s, like back when he just like he had a camera and just buckets of time. Because, uh, yeah, because it's got that feel of like I'm just going to do all the parts. I'm going to play the lead. I'm just going to just bring in people that I happen to find, you know, and what a work. Excuse that word from our sponsors. It's about 15 minutes into the film, right? They, they get to the house. Tor goes there and he greets um, Margaret uh, and uh, uh, Mike mm-hmm. uh, and Debbie, I guess, and their dog. But he greets them and... Pepe. <laughs> is that the name of the dog? Dog's name is Pepe. Pepe. Wow. Long Pepe. before that dog would become a symbol for the alt-right. That dog <laughs> exists in a little movie called Man is the Hands of Fate. But... I get very strong vibes from Torgo. He reminds me of someone we have all at least seen in real life. And this is maybe niche, but it's probably relevant to the only people who might actually listen to this. I kept going, it's not Wesley McMasters because it looks like if Wesley McMasters uh, was like not good looking, you know, (laughs) it's like, it's like if he really let himself go and he was really unkempt and he just sort of had a sad, existence as the the pawn of a cult uh i think that's what he would look like if it was document masters we would have seen at least the tip of that chest tattoo that that was the only thing that made me certain that it wasn't the same person (laughs) who had gone back in time to play the role of torgo (laughs) according to the little girl actor torgo was on lsd the whole time really which is why he's twitching and stuff all the time (laughs) like he was on yeah like the actor was on lsd apparently Oh my! I I they did mention this in the documentary Hotel Torgo, where they they said that they're like, yeah, he was really funny and stuff all the time on the set, and then we realized he was just high all the time, and he was just off doing crazy stuff, which makes sense because yeah, Torgo has a lot of involuntary like twitching, which you think is just like, oh, he's really method acting, you know, or he's just really <laughs> acting, but he was really method acting, right? Um, and there's like he has like a lot of like like wild expressions there's one where he's he's pressed up against a window pane and he's just sort of he's just like he's got his tongue stuck out and he's just sort of he's doing the hubba 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 you know kind of that kind of situation as he walks here it is a peeping scene yeah where he does his peeps um <laughs> I, want, I want to add a little tidbit on that peeping scene yes apparently uh warren whatever his first name was Peace. the director had pressured margaret the, margaret's actress oh i forgot her name too whatever pressured Margaret's actress to go completely nude in that scene. And she said, no, when he goes, you're right. That was just a test. (laughs) (laughs) And you passed. One wife who made out with him while he was tied to the tree did not pass her test. (laughs) She did not. That one was also a test, but he decided to leave it in there. (laughs) He does that. That uh, guy who made it, came out afterwards and said, yeah, it's probably the worst movie ever made, but I'm proud of it. Good. And then he tried to make another movie called Bikers in the Desert, and no one would make it, help him make it. No! I saw that he only had one film on Letterboxd, and I was kind of disappointed. Well, he, Although, like, wrote it and stuff, but... Oh, really? Yeah, like, he wrote it and went to, like, the same people, and no one was willing to make it, which <laughs> I would have been interested to see it after the first one, 
like see if he learned from some of the mistakes or if he really went like all in on trying to make it like a super self-aware bad movie on the second one he would make but we'll never know we'll never know yeah he's gone we need to get our hands on that script okay boys i have i have a question mm-hmm. so you are a uh you're working in advertising and mm-hmm. you get the you're a publicist or something and you get the file you get the manos hands of fate file mm-hmm. and you are like you've this is make or break it like you're not getting a lot of jobs on a lot of clients you're like i've got to sell this movie and you have to find the niche and mm-hmm. you've got to find like the pitch where you can make your money back you know like and you can like your family can eat because if they don't if this movie doesn't sell your family will starve to death so how how would you pitch this movie what would be your route to success how are you getting the most bang for your buck and this could either be as current day or as like the 1960s just take your pick just i'm just curious what would you do with this the way i would pitch it i would reframe it like in the trailers and stuff to be the story of a man named Torgo who's like sort of working under this super powerful person who's sort of oppressing him and he's trying to fight back. He's finally breaking free of his like the mental hold this guy has on him. Mm. And it's a story about Torgo. Torgo's chains. <laughs> the entire thing's just about Torgo. It's about Torgo. Everyone else is a side character. He really is the emotional down. heart of the film. Yeah. I was going down a slightly similar path, except that I would just make about probably a minute long commercial, a feature length commercial. Maybe play it during the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first <laughs> Super Bowl. It only shows Torgo walking with that dramatic <laughs> jazz music. And at the end it goes, Manos, the hands of fate. Okay. I love that scene I like so it. much. People will flock to it. I like it. If the whole movie would have been an hour of Torgo walking with that music, I would have happily <laughs> sat there and watched the whole thing. <laughs> You would still be there, yeah. I would be rewatching it. <laughs> I, uh, I think I would have to sort of frame it as a Lovecraftian cosmic horror, mm. right? So you're going to have a lot of still frames, a lot of zoom-ins on those hands. Those hands are important uh, because for some reason. And so, but see, it gets people drawn in because, yeah. you know, Oh my gosh, what's all this hand iconography, right? Uh, hand iconography, if you will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to make them think, oh, this is going to come up. This is, impo- this is some sort of theme happening, and there's not. But <laughs> they're going to think that there is. <laughs> and so after you do all the zoom-ins, you get the... Well, you don't, you don't do that one. Uh, you don't do uh, the master's robe, because I think that's sort of a, a reveal that you want. Yeah, you don't want to give that away for free. I, I would think revealing that in the, the, the trailer would be on par with how they revealed Darth Maul's dual lightsabers in the trailers, where it's like, you definitely should have left that for the movie. Uh, but for I a surprise. Yeah, for the yeah, fans. For the surprise. For the, for the oh my God, the hands! <laughs> <laughs> All the hand heads in the, in the audience are going nuts. Like, they are freaking out right yeah. then. Yeah. They had a mild hint because the hand, the word hand shows up twice, uh, depending on your understanding of two different human languages uh, in, in the title, but the and I think hands go a much longer way than any other uh, body part. Uh, there's <laughs> Wait, of, go on. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of force that can be portrayed with the hand, you know. And I think uh, c- cinematically, uh, there's a history to the hand, you know. Uh, Lord of the Rings, you've got the white hand. 
people often have hands in movies. And I had noticed that. <laughs> I thought it was just an Easter egg, but I'm starting to think it was yeah. just they it's haven't noticed. It's a recurring theme that most filmmakers don't want you to immediately notice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think I think you'd really focus on the hands. Uh, you know, so you're gonna want to get the burning one that's in that room. Yes. Even on that, you know, fire in the flame. You're gonna mm. want uh, Torgo's walking stick hand. Um, Torgo's hand that gets torn off that burns. Uh, and then obviously you you leave Torgo out off. the robe hands. Uh, one hand you can zoom in on is the making out couple where the uh, oh, the guy has a wedding ring on his hand. That's true. Mm. That's an important hand. Uh, they come up later for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're definitely relevant to the plot. I think along with that, you would have maybe a still a still frame of the alcohol that the couple drinks, right? You zoom in, you have sort of like a, a intense, loud, like 60s horror, like sting music, right? The, like the, that kind of thing. And yeah. then you, you cut to the burning hand, sort of draw a connection between those two things, think someone's going to burn something. That doesn't happen. Uh, but they could. But it could, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, you maybe pop in a few frames of uh, text that no one can read uh, because it's too quick. And then... <laughs> and they go, I'm just stupid. <laughs> Lovecraft. <laughs> the hands of fate. And then you ship that off. That is incredible. Yeah, I think... I, I would pay to see it. Thank you. I didn't, though. Yeah. You, you could. You still could. <laughs> I still could, that's true. You could pay me no. for the pleasure of seeing it. <laughs> I've already seen it. John, what about, uh, what about, how would you I have, I have a couple of different routes and I'm torn on them. So maybe you guys could help me pick out which one's the best. They both involve um, direct to VHS okay. um, adaptations. Um, so we're not releasing this in theaters because I think word of mouth would be too effective too quickly and people would not go see it. Um, <laughs> However, if it was just a word of hand, like we would do very well, but it's word of mouth and we just work with what we've got. However, I think there are two clear avenues that you can make a lot of money in the direct um, to home VHS market. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we will release this exclusively on VHS, even if it was today. Um, So one route, first route is it's it's a DIY how to tutorial on running a successful cult. Because think about it, the master succeeds in every avenue, pretty much. Mm. He, you know, in a, in a, I guess maybe more typical with horror, but in a normal movie, like the heroes succeed, mm-hmm. um, uh, they don't. No. And the master is really the only one who comes out on top at the end of things. Like he's, he's got a chain of command, which is him and then people below him which is a pretty good setup if you want to run a successful cult. Yeah. Uh, because it would be weird if he said, Torgo, you're in charge. This is my cult. That just wouldn't work. See, yeah. these, see, these are good lessons that people are getting from man as the hands of fate. So I think you could really sell it and you lean in on, you could become the master of your community. You could just start maybe a, a cult with a different body part focus. So maybe you're, you're, you know, uh, you're about feet. I don't know. You're selling feet picks or, you know, shins, you know, mm-hmm. Tarantino would definitely join that one. Tarantino might have already taken that course. Uh, He was my first client. My other (laughs) alternative, this is maybe less fleshed out, but I think there is room for a novel exercise um, Mm -hmm. routine video, like like a workout tape, 
okay. um, that is mostly involved with the master in the poncho where he he's, takes his hands up and down sort of in like uh, like an inverted... Uh, he's doing lat raises. Yeah, he's doing lat raises. And he's just to, to flex the hands every time. And I think you could just play that scene back and forth. So he puts them down, he puts them up. He puts them down, he puts them up. And then you just sort of follow along with the master. Mm-hmm. I think that could be really effective. Um, and I think people would really flock to it. It could be the thing to get your summer bod uh, ready you know, for your cult. So right. I, I think there's a lot of ways you could sell this um, that, that I'm excited about. So another potential thing we could discuss, you get to change one thing about the movie, whether it be casting, who's doing a directing, who's doing cinematography, to, and you get this one change to try and make it win an Oscar. It can be a person who's, you can cast someone who's dead, someone who's alive, anyone from any time in any role or any position, but it's just that one change to get it an Oscar. Who do you, what do you do? Hmm. Uh, I think that instead of just Torgo, everyone should be on LSD. (laughs) (laughs) Including the audience and critics. Exactly. (laughs) That's a good question. That's smart. What, um... So are you are we running for best picture? Or are we just it running for any Oscar. Oscar? Any Oscar. Okay. So personally, I cast Roger Deakins as the cinematographer. Okay. And it's a suit it's the rest of the movie's the same, but the cinematography is on point out in the desert. So you I'm going for that cinematography one. Okay. I have an idea. Yeah, yes. Hear me out here. Yes. So Mike, right, the husband, his entire goal once they get there and his wife says we should leave. His goal becomes, okay, we'll escape, right? And who in cinema is the greatest escapist of all time? You're right. It's Tim Robinson's Andy Dufresne from the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> that character is Mike. So, for instance, as soon as they get stuck there, he, he sees uh, Torgo, and he becomes the warden, right, to, to Andy Dufresne. Um, and he starts setting up all these different things. He, he uncovers a sewer line, right? Um, and the wife says, honey, we should just get in the car. And he says, this is better for escape. And the, the family crawls through 500 yards of shit. And then they escape. That'd be my change, I think. Then he covers the sewer with a uh, poster. Yes. And what, see, now, <laughs> the final shot of the film, right, is the open sewer, the end of the sewer, right? And out come two hands. <laughs> and then it cuts to black. Incredible symbolism. <laughs> Very subtle, I love it. <laughs> I, I, I especially like that one because I, the thing that excites me is the idea that everything else in the universe still happens Right. The way that it does. So this movie wins Best Picture, and then Stephen King writes The Shawshank Redemption, right. and they make the film The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yes. And so then everyone thinks that it's an allusion to Manos, The Hands of Fate. True. Well, so Stephen, Stephen King didn't really understand the hand iconography, so that's why he sort of removed it. He clearly it. missed it, yeah. Yeah, he completely, over his head, right over his head. So he, he, he decided instead to, like, I don't know, get something about, like, redemption or something but yeah you know i don't know hands something about shawshanks yeah yeah but john what would your what would your change be my change that's a 
hmm, I'm thinking, okay. I don't think there's a simple change to win Best Picture, so I'm going for an easier Oscar. I think I'm going to build on the movie's strengths, which I think the music is like, all right. But we're going to bring in um, a new composer, or at least in- entice the, uh, the whoever the composer was for this film, because I don't really know. It was probably Howard again. He probably did all of them. But um, encourage them to make more than like three musical tracks. Right. So we're going to have like Torgo's theme. And like, that's going to be like a big musical mm-hmm. motif throughout the film. We might get like a rattlesnake theme or that, that snake that's in the daytime. We can get Debbie's theme. Um, we can get the wife slap fight theme. Uh, right. I think there's a lot of room here for nuance that they just, you know, you're building off the strength of this music. Right. And I think pieces that bring in a lot more, probably a lot more symbol action, I think would be just, just ahead of its time. Right. I John. think in a way that, what what you know if you were to encapsulate the feeling of debbie's theme you know because i mean we've all heard you know darth vader's theme yes yes what is debbie's <laughs> how what's the feeling involved there well it's a little bit that's a little bit of not a catch-22 but <laughs> it's it's a little tricky right because right. Weirdly, Debbie's theme kind of becomes silence because oh. the Debbie character never actually, yeah. <laughs> the actor never actually gets to say any of her lines because we don't have any of them on the film. We That's only true. have the dub, which frankly, maybe we should double down on that. So I think Bozo did the dub. I think we Boza did do the dub, and we all know that. I think Debbie's theme is you take a popular theme that did win an Oscar. Mm. Uh, let's say maybe we're, we're taking. Um, some some it's like a slowed down version of a battle theme from lord of the rings okay then you you mute that track and then you dub over it with sort of what you remember the theme to be uh and i think that's sort of the encapsulation of Debbie's theme yeah i think i think that's a that's pretty good going off of that do either of you have any ideas for any of the characters themes because i i very much have (laughs) any character having a theme i I'm certain Torgo's theme would be very like staccatoed and jittery, much like right. him. So it's always on the verge of falling down. And I think maybe you could enca- encapsulate that feel of maybe. So we're going to use, we're going to use an orchestra, right? Like we're okay. going all out on this score. Right. I think we gotta get the uh, this is, this is very similar to Alex's idea, but all the orchestra is obviously on LSD. <laughs> um, and we're also to sort of simulate the feeling of, of maybe potentially falling all the time, which is what Torgo mm. deals with. Right. We're going to we're gonna hang them suspended off the side of a building to really sort of <laughs> capture, <laughs> capture the the terror of vertigo that seems inherent in all of Torgo's scenes because Torgo is perpetually on the edge of falling over at any given time. So I think sort mm. of a <laughs> kind of that sort of is the vibe of Torgo's theme. And I think that's really what we could bring out. I like that. I like that thought. I think the theme for the Rottweiler should be Elvis Presley's You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog every <laughs> time it shows up. So they zoom in on the pictures like, You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. I, it's I, 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 like that, I like that too because I like the idea of going the other way and just having really gratuitous music placement where every, what if like every three seconds, they, they just, anytime they focus on an object, they just play a popular song that relates to that object. <laughs> So it's just, it's just nonstop, like, like 
Pink Floyd, the Beatles, you know, like <laughs> Metallica, because we can use any era. So they're just yeah, like, yeah. it's yeah. just dumping these in there. And you only play like, it starts to play the song, but obviously we have so many quick cuts in this movie that they immediately start playing the next song, but they yeah. sort of overlap. So at the end, it's just sort of, <laughs> it's just sort of a mess. The closing credits is every song. It's every song <laughs> at the same together. time. I personally have no idea what I would do for the music. I haven't given that much thought, but if I think of it, I'll get back to you. That's I, fair. I was thinking, I don't know who to apply this to, but I have an idea for music. I was thinking either the cops or the young couple that makes out could have the sports center theme. <laughs> Maybe the cops when they roll up, because there's, I don't know, there's just something about their arrival onto a scene that seems very important because they're the police. Right. <laughs> it just amounts to nothing. <laughs> but I think the Sports Center theme would do very well with. I, I that, agree. I that that makes does. a lot of sense. Also, have we fully explained the other couple? Because I think we've mentioned them oh, in passing. But we should be clear. So there's, there's a couple, uh, a separate couple from our main protagonists that routinely show up in the movie. Not as in that they come to four the times. scenes of the movie. They show up four times. In each scene, they are in a car, parked, drinking alcohol, and making out. Uh, at which point, the cops show up, or people drive past them, and uh, the cops are basically just like, you can't do that. Which I wasn't really sure what laws they were breaking, and why they had to move on, because they weren't on the road. They were just pulled off, like, parked, doing their own thing, uh, but the cops like you can't do this here in this empty desert. You have to go somewhere else. Uh, did Did you guys understand why they were being pulled over and why they were being asked to leave? Uh, I have no idea. Maybe public indecency, except they were fully clothed, so I don't know. Maybe really, just the like, worst. It was the sixties. <laughs> yeah, because like, the crime is being in the sixties. <laughs> Get out of here. The 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 definitely worst thing is that they were drinking in the car. Yes, but that and one then drove really... off immediately after, and then, and then like tore off. Oh yes, I thought they were going to get pulled over again. When well, they the cop didn't off. see him drinking. I don't think because I don't think he, I don't think he saw it. Also, I thought it was going to come up. That uh entire scene, like with that couple, was only written because one of the that the actress broke her foot and she was supposed to be one of the wives, and they're like, we still need to use her, so they wrote in this couple, and that's the only reason they're there incredible i also it didn't seem like they knew how to make out did anyone else get this impression uh it's probably just because it's awkward and they probably didn't even know each other Mm -hmm. just no kind of like leaning over the center of the car in his arms it was a really weird weird places yeah yeah i mean i inconvenient yeah so they have a back seat though you know (laughs) and i understand it's a bit more work to to say okay now that we've parked and we're safely <laughs> at rest, do you want to follow me to the back of the car? But Well, she had a broken foot, so by the time they you know, drove over there, she didn't want to get out and walk into the back. Yeah, that's we, too much effort. Are we to understand that the character also had a broken foot in addition to the actress? Because we never <laughs> see her so. foot. I hope that the, you know, the actress had in her mind that this character has a broken foot. That's <laughs> she was a method actor in this trait. character. <laughs> also, did y'all notice when the cops pulled him over the first time? Like... It just shows her just sitting there, like, messing with her hair for, like, five or six seconds before yes. she even says her line. Yeah. It's so weird. 
They were so clearly padding time in this movie. It was still only like an hour and ten. They did such a good job, though, <laughs> with what they had. They did. They had $19,000. I would be and proud to have made this movie, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of the movies we've made because we're award-winning filmmakers. We are award-winning filmmakers. Best picture winners. Best pictures. Do my competent characters? <laughs> what? I would say it has a plot. It has semi-competent yes. characters. Like I know who people are. It's true. Um, it has a pretty cool effect with the hand. It has hands. <laughs> the burning hand effect's okay. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I mean, it has music. also. Did you guys? I. I genuinely had moments where I was like, Mike's pretty funny. Like, he has some good quips in there that he just drops in uh, mm. that I really enjoyed. Um, mostly just, like, making fun of Torgo. So there's I, – I can't fully remember this one. I should have written them down. Um, but there's a, there's a point where um, they see the painting of the master, right, Margaret and, and Mike do. And uh, Torgo says – the master is gone. You know, he says in some roundabout way that the master is dead, essentially, uh, even though he's not. Um, so I don't know what's up with that. Uh, maybe Torgo doesn't have like object permanence. Um, but but Mike says something to the effect of like, uh, uh, I hope you join him or something like that, or like, uh, or, or no 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 no. What he, it's it's the dog too. Uh, the dog is also in the painting with the master. Um, and Margaret's like, that dog is horrible. Like that dog is the dog is the most horrifying dog she has ever seen, even though it's really not that bad. Yeah. Um, and Mike, and it's like, she's like, where's the dog now? And Mike says, hopefully with the master, uh, implying that he hopes this dog is dead, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> Do you also notice how um, Mike, you know, they get there and he just starts bossing Torgo around immediately. Yeah. They're this not is... paying him. He's like, Torgo, get get our bags, carry them back outside. Yeah, we should we should focus on this because the the interaction of how they start. Torgo is trying to warn them away. Like yeah. Torgo is like, you should. They pull up, and Mike's like, we would like to stay here for the night because the night is only six hours away. And Torgo's like, you should not stay here. You guys need to get out. Um, and Mike's like, no, we will stay. And Torgo's like, the master will not like it. You know, he wouldn't like it. We can't do that. Um, and Mike's like, we'll stay. And Torgo goes, oh, okay, fine. Um, and then. Mike is like, if the master gets here, what's he going to do? Kick us out? <laughs> yeah, it's just Mike literally forced himself like into this home that wasn't his, which is maybe they just did that back in the day. But <laughs> it's kind of wild. <laughs> it was the 60s. Yeah, it was the 60s. It was they didn't have it. Maybe they didn't have the Third Amendment then. And mm. so that Mike claimed to be a quartering <laughs> a soldier and he would just he was used to just regularly forcing himself into any living situation. But it's wild that he just he just insists that they get to stay there for free. And Torgo's like, I guess I have to allow it, even though I don't want you here in my home, which is very clear. Uh, so I don't know. That was interesting. He didn't like it, but he had to go along with it. He had to go along <laughs> with it. All right. So real quick, we can recap and just finish by saying, do you think this is deserving of a zero percent score? critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. If mm. not, what do you think it deserves? And then maybe just give like out of 10, what is your personal ranking for it? Uh, I definitely believe it does deserve the 0%. Um, even even all the actors involved hated it. 
apparently they were they were being really sneaky and they were referred to instead of manos the hands of fate they would call it mangoes the cans of fruit behind mm. warren's back so <laughs> i i i my enjoyment was few and far between for the movie i think it deserves a zero percent um out of 10 for any movie like any movie in general i give it a zero but given the fact that's already a zero percent i knew it was going to be bad coming in i'd probably give it a three or a four 3.5 it's about fair yeah i'd say it I think, um, I mean, as far as, uh, I guess a 0% means that no critics gave it a positive review, right? Yeah. So I guess on like on Rotten Tomatoes terms, I think it's probably fair that as a 0%, mm-hmm. um, well, maybe I can see recommending this. I might recommend this to somebody as like, do you want like some, some B-horror schlock? Because it's like entertaining as that and it's fine. Um, so like it might it might deserve around there. Like it might deserve an ideal world, maybe like 15 to 20% on like a Rotten Tomatoes score. I think it's not out of the realm of like, I can see why no one liked this movie and didn't give it positive reviews. And I would probably agree with Alex. I'd probably give it like four, four and a half stars. I, I, out of I 10, that is. Yeah, yeah. I think I would agree with John on the Rotten Tomatoes thing. Uh, it was fine. Um, Although I do think there's way better B-horror schlock. Yeah. Um, but this is inoffensive, I would say. Uh, but on the basis of uh, 0% is no one gives it a positive rating, I get that. Uh, so I would probably also give it a 0%. Well, not a 0%, but I would say it wasn't positive. So, yeah. But on a scale of 1 to 10, I would probably say something like a two and a half, three. 3. Um, I, I enjoyed certain parts of it, but I mean, it was what it was. Uh, I also think it deserves the 0%, and I'll probably give it about two and a half. Like, and that's just like on an absolute basis. Once again, with the budget considered, it's still like pretty impressive since they only had 19000 But yeah, two and a half, probably. Torgo alone makes up for two and two quarters of those stars. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the master. Like I know his because it's, it's like the master too. Locky and like you know campy, generic, stupid horror crap. But I'm really into that. And gosh, he really that actor did a a good job at being exactly what he was supposed to be. He he wore that costume every Halloween, and now his son does. <laughs> Is that true? That's what it says on IMDb. Amazing. Aww, I like that. I want that poncho. That's cute. Yeah, um, next week we'll be reviewing They Took Hitler's Brain from, I think it's 1968. Is We will have a, a guest. To be determined. To be determined. No, it'll There'll be Tony McGuire. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Has promised Tony McGuire will be the guest. Uh, and then Brendan Brazier after him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both in the running. And Brendan has a weird thing in his contract where he won't go on a podcast unless Toby's been on it first. So we have to wait for that. But so you'll get them knocked out episode two yeah. and episode three, yeah, respectively. Yeah. Um, so we yeah, definitely be on the lookout for that and tweet at them and how much you enjoyed the show, you know, because that'll, that'll happen. Um, but yeah, uh, boys, really, really quick closing. If you, uh, what's the award you would give Manos the Hands of Fate? Like I give it a superlative. Like I would say probably um, 
uh, best painting of a man who you presume is dead, but is not really dead, and his dog that you presume to be dead, but is not really dead. Mm. I like it. I would say best use of a walking stick with a hand on top of it. <laughs> oh, very specific. It's better than um, Lord of the Rings. I'm going to give it best use of a Disney nature stock footage snake. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give it best villain with a mustache and a hand cape. cape. Very good stuff. There was some heavy competition for that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I had to add in the hand robe given what we're watching next week. Okay. All right. Well, I... (laughs) I think that about does it. All right, it's been fun, boys. It's been a good time. See you all next week. Bye. Peace.